0: Welcome to the Nankoverse podcast, or should I say welcome back to the Nankoverse podcast. Oh my god, I'm so happy to be doing this again. I had to write this introduction down because I feel so rusted. I had to do 30 takes to just begin again. I will stay consistent. This podcast episode has been long in the making. Long in the making. Long is emphasized here. Firstly, I would like to give all my listeners an elephant-sized jadoo ki jhappi for sticking around, for giving a damn, for real. Some of you even reached out to me, asking, why am I not posting new episodes anymore? Am I dead? Damn, I'm not dead, I'm alive! The very fact that someone, even one person, even one person, asked me this, makes me super emotional. Thank you for giving a damn. It makes me happy beyond belief that someone out there gives a damn about me and about this podcast. And I want to make a promise through this medium that I will stay consistent. I will make sure I stay consistent with this because I love it. It's that simple. I love recording, I love creating, and I love reading the news to you guys. And also talking to people in general as well. So there's no reason for me to not do this. I'm blessed enough to be super curious about most people I meet and about the important events of the world and the plan is to talk to them all and to cover them all so let's talk here we go there were a few things in my life that needed my attention that have now been taken care of there's no looking back from here all the way up and now on to the news and on to the conversations on to the covers, baby let's go a lot of things have happened since i did my last episode russia invaded ukraine one of the biggest world events that happened i haven't covered that yet and i wanted to although i'll be very honest with you guys when i first heard about it it just completely shook me and a lot of people have been trashing the fact that the west is not providing support to ukraine or the west did not see this coming um i don't know if anybody followed the news that i was covering earlier U.S. was screaming that Russia is going to invade Ukraine, and they indeed did. Sometimes intelligence, of, uh, intelligence that is gathered by these uh, countries, like countries like the United States, does turn out to be true. We like to trash them. We like to think that, oh, whatever the U.S. is saying is complete bullshit because they're not backing it with real data or something around those lines. But Russia invaded Ukraine. Thousands have died. Thousands are dying every day, and the area of Donetsk is under attack at this point. Severodonetsk is under attack. Many Ukrainians have been killed. Many Russian soldiers have been killed, actually, and uh, that is something that I'll be tracking uh, from here on, and a lot of Delhi news, a lot of India-centric news, which is of prime importance that I'll be covering so please t- stay tuned, stay on the NAN covers, bear with me. And, you know, and I've been a little rusty as well. Uh, I wanted to keep this introduction short, but I think it is incumbent upon me to speak a little bit about what has been happening in the past three months. Um, I have joined a new job and it happens to be at the Indian Express, a new source that I've been uh, using to, you know... Uh, to cover the news on this podcast and it's just it's really a manifestation amplified to another level that I joined the organization that I really give a damn about and these guys have some of the most uh, dedicated journalists out here who give a damn about investigative journalism there was a news story recently where an IAS couple would use the Thyagrad stadium to walk their dog every day after 7 30 the students the the athletes and the coaches were asked to leave the stadium because Saabji and his madam had to take the dog for a walk in the Theegrad Stadium. Uh, our photojournalist Abhinav Saha and um, another uh, print journalist, I'm forgetting his name, he covered this. They covered. Uh, they investigated on the story and uh, broke it on the front page a couple of weeks back. That had a real-time impact. Theegrad Stadium and other stadiums in Delhi are now open till 10:30 for training especially with this heat man it's so warm. uh warm i don't know how uh, were the athletes expected to train during the daytime i would be dying of dehydration and so much heat dude like if you're outside in the heat i feel for you bro and sis for real dude like the heat in the northern parts of india is insane uh, this is another thing that I want to track, like climate change is real guys, it's happening, the heat is becoming hotter, like our climate is so hot. Delhi in particular has, uh, you know, has has witnessed a summer unlike any that I have personally ever experienced and uh, even the news says that Delhi has been the hottest it's ever been. So I don't really know what's going on, all of our friends in Bangalore are posting some of the best pictures of the clouds and open skies Pollution is still there, even though it's summertime. I don't know what's happening. We need to make this world a better place, man. This introduction has lasted quite a bit. I love everyone who's listening to this and everyone who will be joining the Nankoverse in the future. Much love to you guys, man. Let's get on to the news. Let's do it. Talking about the heat, coolers are on sale in Delhi. The maximum temperature in the city was recorded at... On uh, the um, on the 16th of June was 42 degrees point two degrees Celsius, while the minimum was 29.4 degrees. Um, The power demand has been on a high. Hot days and nights in Delhi have meant an increased power demand over the whole of this month. On Wednesday, Delhi's peak power demand touched 7,334 megawatts, the highest of the season as well as the highest recorded in June till date. According to sources, an assessment by Discom says Delhi will breach all power demand records this year. All power demand records will be broken, guys. What are we doing? And COVID is on the rise again. Delhi reports 1,375 cases as on 16th of June. The number of COVID-19 cases in the national capital shot up over the last two days, with 1,375 cases recorded on Wednesday. The positivity rate, proportion of samples tested that return positive, that is, indicative of the spread of the infection in the community, stood at 7%, as per Delhi government's health bulletin. The daily incidence increased from 500 to over 1,000 in seven days during the current surge. To compare, it took only three days for a similar change in April, when cases spiked a little after mask mandates were done away with. It took a similar three days in January when Delhi witnessed the Omicron variant driven third wave. Although the number declined slightly after the April spike, they did not reduce to the level seen after the third wave. Presently mask mandates are in the city. So guys, wear your masks. Wear your masks even the government even when the government asks you to take them down, man. Because they will do it to face, you know, save face, but you have to save yourself. So wear a mask. And sometimes, you know, I think wearing a mask just reassures other people as well that, you know, people give a damn. And those past two years, these past two years that we have witnessed as a society haven't gone to waste. And a lot of people died because of coronavirus. So let's not forget that. Masks have helped. The positivity rate stood at 7.64% at the highest during the slight peak in April. It stood at 30% during the January surge, meaning 1 in 3 persons who were tested for the infection had it. The current positivity rate, experts believe, does not reflect the true picture as many people are now testing for the infection with home kits. What do you guys think of home kits? Do you think they make, uh, are they legit? What's your experience been like? Do let me know moving on from delhi news i would want to bring my attention to a story written by sham lal yadav in the indian express which talks about the government job situation the pm has ordered a million central government posts to be filled in quote mission mode over the next 18 months what is the status status of vacancies and how many recruitments have been made in the last few years it's a really pertinent questions for a lot of young people out there who uh, are very ambitious about joining government jobs. Government jobs have always been very uh, highly demanded in our country and a lot of people spend a lot of time preparing for them. A lot of times these exams don't even declare results and you can see uh, kids out there protesting not getting results of you know, the exams that they've given for these government jobs. So let's mm-hmm. look into what Shamlal Yadev has to say about this and what the report is. Following a review of the status of human resources in all departments and ministries by Prime Minister Narendra Modi on Tuesday, his office tweeted that the PM had, quote, instructed that recruitment of 10 lakh people be done by government in mission mode in the next 1.5 years. So they want to employ 10 lakh people in mission mode over the next 1.5 years. Let's see if that happens. We'll be tracking that. Why has the government launched a massive employment drive at this point? Over the last few years, the central government has been going slow on recruitments to regular posts. It represent, Its representatives have instead pointed to employment generation through Prime Minister's Employment Generation Program, PMEGP. Mahatma Gandhi National Rural Employment Guarantee Scheme, Mandrega, Pradhan Mantri Kaushal Vikas Yojana, PMKVY, Garib Kalyan Roazgar Abhyan, GKRA, Atmanirbar Bharat Roazgar Yojana, Pandit Deen Dayal Upadhyay Grameen Kaushala Yojana, and Deen Dayal Antyodaya Yojana, National Urban Livelihoods Mission, Mudra Loans, Stand Up, etc., But the yearning for government employment remains strong across the country, seen periodically in the waves of applications whenever posts are advertised, and in the proliferation of coaching classes for competitive exams for jobs of all categories. The government has been facing criticism on this issue. Several leaders were confronted by youths during the UP assembly election campaign and slogans of, quote, SENA BHARTI Chalu Karu." were raised in at least two rallies addressed by Defence Minister Rajnath Singh. "Sena bharti chalu karo," that's what I meant. Oh my God! Whenever Hindi is written in English, I just pronounce it weird. "Sena bharti chalu karo." They're saying that uh, army, ki, uh, the recruitments in army need to be, you know, they need to start recruiting an army. The announcement on "quote mission mode recruitments" recognizes this demand from younger voters. The 18 month window announced by the PM extends until December 23 or about 4 months before Lok Sabha elections are expected to be held. What is the current strength of center's human resources? The Union Budget for 2022-23 estimated the strength of central government employees at 34.65 lakhs as on March 1, 2022. According to the latest available annual report of the Department of Expenditure, approximately 21.7% of the 40.78 lakh sanctioned posts were vacant as on March 1st, 2020. So 21.7% posts are vacant at this point, which is quite surprising. The Indian railways are the biggest government employer, with 12.52 lakh employees as of March 1, 2020 and the estimated strengths of 12.03 lakh and 12.01 lakh as on March 1, 2021-22, respectively. Almost 92% of the central government's manpower is employed by five ministries. Departments of Railways, almost 40%. Home Affairs, almost 30%. Defense, Civil, nearly 12%. Department of Posts, 5%. And Department of Revenue, more than 3%. Is that all? No, it isn't. A very large number of employees have been hired by central government ministries and departments on contract as per the recommendations especially of the last two pay commissions. Union Minister of State for Labour and Employment Rameshwar Taili told Lok Sabha on March 21 this year that as of 2021, there were 24.30 lakh contract labourers slash workers slash employees in the central sphere. This number was 13.24 lakh in 2020 and 13.64 lakh in t- 2019. There was a slight decrease in 2020, if I have to uh, point out. Central government employees in this category are mainly multitasking staff, MTS. The MTS basically work as Group D staff recruitments for which have been all but stopped. And the group itself was merged with Group C on April 30, 2020, based on the recommendation of the 6th Bay Commission. Recruitments such as those of Drivers to have almost ceased as several departments use higher taxis in bulk. So exactly how many vacancies does the central government have? On February 3rd, 2022, Minister of State in the DOPT, which is Department of Personnel and Training, yes, Jitendra Singh told Rajya Sabha that as on March 1, 2020, as many as 8,72,243 positions were vacant in the central government, which is insane. Wow. 8 lakh, almost 8.7 lakhs. On July, 20, on July 22nd last year, Singh had given Sabha the following breakup of vacancies as of March 1, 2020. Group A, 21,255. Group B, 94,842 and Group C 7,56,146 vacancies. In the elite IAS, 1,515 posts were vacant as on January 1, 2021. Wow. DOPT's annual report for 2020-21 states, the sanctioned strength of the IAS is 6,746, but the actual strength is 5,231. This is mind-boggling. Education Minister Dharmendra Pradhan told Rajya Sabha on April 6, 2022 that 6558 and 15227 teaching and non-teaching positions posts were vacant in the central universities. In September last year, he had directed all central universities to fill vacant posts by October 2022. A large number of employees superannuated at the end of every month. And if no recruitments are made, the posts lie vacant or are filled by contractual staff staff, or by rehiring retired staff. What is the level of vacancies in the armed forces? Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the Army put its recruitment process on hold for recruiting years 2020-21 and 21-22. Minister of State for Defense Ajay Bhatt told Lok Sabha on December 10 last year that 7,476 posts of officers and 97,177 posts of JCOs slash ORs were laying vacant. The corresponding numbers for the Air Force were 621 and 4,850 respectively, and for Navy, 1,265 and 11,166 respectively. While recruitment rallies for general duty in the army have been on hold, the government on Tuesday announced the new Agnipath scheme, which we will be covering. Agnipath is something which is extremely controversial at this point, and um, I would want to track this and get you all the opinions. How many people have been recruited in recent years? Minister Minister Singhs which is Rajnath Singhs parliament response of february third, twenty 2022 shows that more than 2.65 lakh were recruited in 2020-21 13238 by the UPSC 1 lakh by Staff Selection Commission and 151000 by the Railway Recruitments Board According to the minister's reply the latest order to fill vacancies was issued on June 3 2021 What are the main recruitment bodies and how many have they recruited in the recent years The UPSC and SSC are the two main recruiters of central government personnel UPSC makes group A and group B recruitments the SSC recruits all group B non-gazetted and group C non-technical posts in central ministries/departments and their attached and subordinate offices. Except those specifically exempted from its purview, it conducts several other examinations as well. The UPSC advertised 27,764 posts and recruited 24,836 people in the last five years. Singh told Lok Sabha on April 6th this year. In the same period, the SSC advertised eighty-five thousand seven hundred and thirty-four posts and recruited 1,74,744 people. The UPSC's latest available annual report states that in the 14 exams held for civil services slash posts and defense services in 2020-21, a total 25.03 lakh candidates applied, 11.38 lakh appeared, and 3,986 were recommended for selection. Wow! So out of 25 000 lakh candidates who applied, 11 lakh appeared, and only 4,000 were recommended for selection. Man, these selection rates are skewed in our country. In 2021-22, the UPSC recommended 4,699 candidates, as per response given to Lok Sabha Bai Singh on April 6, 2022. The SSC, as per its annual report for 2020-21, conducted 12 All-India Open Competitive Examinations, for which 1.08 crore candidates applied for different stages. The SSC also conducted the Combined Higher Secondary Level ed- Examination 2019, its largest examination, for 41.68 lakh candidates across the country. In all, the SSC recommended 68,533 candidates for appointment to various posts through All India Open Competitive Examinations and 358 candidates for selection posts during 2020-21. In 2021-22, recruitment fell to just 29,653 as per Singh's response. Goddamn, government jobs highly desired yet there are so many vacancies and so many people apply um this entire ecosystem it is quite fascinating what are your thoughts what are your thoughts on this entire government job situation and where do you think we're headed in terms of the amount of coaching classes that you know take money from these candidates crores are applying only thousands are getting selected we, I, I personally feel we definitely need to have a lot of skill development when it comes to the youth so that they're also open to other industries and not just dependent on government jobs that do provide a lot of security, admitted. However, uh, there should be other avenues for our uh, youth and even for people in their older ages to find quality jobs that pay well. Moving on, I would like to bring my attention to... The hot topic of the times in our country, which is hate speech, as many of you might know that a spokesperson from the ruling Bhartiya Janta Party have come under fire for, um, you know, commenting derogatory uh, remarks over a religion's head, Prophet Muhammad, and a lot of protests have happened across the country, which turned violent. Um, Many Muslim countries uh, lodged formal comp- uh, you know formal um, protests against india for um, these statements that were made by a few people and um, this is a story which is written by apurva vishwanath uh, in the indian Expr- uh, in the indian express on explained and i would like to read this out it gives a lot of nuance about what hate speech is uh, what the law says about this ipc 295a in particular and how the courts have read the law and the history behind it it's really fascinating so uh this will be very illuminating for me as well because uh, you know all of the talk about hey, oh we should kill this person or she is not wrong i feel uh it's important to get to understand the nuance and a lot of people don't even know what she said uh, you know specifically including me till i went to some fringe corner of instagram uh, some person had posted it there so i got to know what she said and to be honest i don't i don't know if it's right or wrong cuz i do not know much about islam um you know i don't want to sound like a white person who says oh i have a lot of muslim friends but i would like to read this article to get a little more nuance about this entire thing and what hate speech and what the history of it is The debate surrounding the comments made by BJP spokesperson Nupur Sharma and Naveen Jindal have put the spotlight on the law that deals with criticism of or insult to religion. Provisions in the IPC, primarily Section 295A, define the contours of free free speech and its limitations with respect to offences related to religion. India does not have a formal legal framework for dealing with hate speech, However, a cluster of provisions, loosely termed hate speech laws, are invoked. These are primarily laws to deal with offences against religions. Section 295a and others Section 295a defines and prescribes a punishment for deliberate and malicious acts, intended to outrage religious feelings of any class by insulting its religion or religious beliefs. Quote, Whoever might deliberate and malicious intention of outraging the religious feelings of any class of citizens or of India by words, either spoken or written, or by signs, or by visual representations or otherwise, insults or attempts to insult the religion or the religious belief of that class, shall be punished with imprisonment of either description for a term which may extend to three years or with fine or with both, the IPC section reads. Section 295A is one of the key provisions in the IPC chapter to penalize religious offenses. The chapter includes offenses to penalize damage or defilement of a place of worship with intent to r- insult the religion. Section 295. Trespassing in a place of. sepulchre? Sp- spe- sp- se- sepulture? Oh my god, that's a new word. I don't know what that means. It's spelt as S E P U L T U R E. Damn. Uttering words, etc with deliberate intent to wound the religious feelings of any person, 298, and disturbing a religious assembly, 296. The Section 295A has been invoked on a wide range of issues, not surprisingly, from penalizing political satire and seeking bans on or withdrawal of books to even political critique on social media. The state often invokes Section 295 along with Section 153A of the Indian Penal Code, which penalizes promoting enmity between the different groups on grounds of religion, race, place of birth, residence, language, etc., and doing acts prejudicial to maintenance of harmony and section 505 of the IPC that punishes statements according to public mischief. A statements conducting, conducing to public mischief. Sorry, my bad in cases where such speech is online section 66a of the information technology act that punishes sending offensive messages through communication services is added in a landmark verdict in 2015 the supreme court struck down section 66a as unconstitutional on the grounds that the provision was quote vague and a violation of speech however the provision continues to be invoked section 66 was deemed as unconstitutional but it was, uh, st- it is still being uh, invoked. The, bro- the broad vague terms in the laws are often invoked in, the- in its misuse. Lower conviction rates for these provisions indicate that the process, where a police officer can arrest without a warrant, is often punishment. Critics have pointed out that these laws are intended for the state to step in and restore court public order rather than protect free speech. Origins of the law Colonial origins of hate speech provisions are often criticized for the assumption that Indians were susceptible to religious excitement. In 2016 paper in the Economic and Political Weekly, legal scholar Siddhartha Narayan notes that the first Indian Law Commission headed by T.B. Macaulay, who drafted the Indian Penal Code, T.B. Macaulay, who drafted the Indian Penal Code, had written to the Governor General of India in 1835 that there is perhaps no country which the government has so much to apprehend from religious excitement among the people. Section 295A was brought in in 1927, pre-independence. In his book, Offended, Shock or Disturbed, lawyer Gautam Bhatia writes that the antecedents of Section 295A lie in the court communally charged atmosphere of North India in the 1920s. The amendment was a fallout of an acquittal under the Section 153A of the IPC by the Lahore High Court in 1927 in Rajpal versus Emperor, popularly known as the Rangila Rasool case. Rangila Rasool case, let's discuss this. Rangila Rasool was a tract brought out by a Hindu publisher, tract brought by a Hindu publisher that made disparaging remarks about the Prophet's private life, Cases against the first pamphlet, filed under Section 153, were dismissed by the Punjab and Haryana High Court, which examined the question whether targeting religious figures is different from targeting religions. When a second similar piece was published, it raised tensions. While the magistrate had convicted the publisher, Rajpal, under Section 153a, the Lahore High Court held that a Surilish… Surilish? Sucker, dude, all these words today, man, I need to like, you know, really put up my vocabulary on the test. Um, foul attack on a religious leader would prima facie fall under section 153a, although not every criticism. This debate in interpretation prompted the colonial government to enact section 295a with a wider scope to address these issues. Later cases... In 1957, the constitutionality of Section 295A was challenged in Ramjilal Modi versus State of Uttar Pradesh. The Supreme Court upheld the law on grounds that it was brought in, brought in to preserve public order. Public order is an exemption to the fundamental right to freedom of speech and expression and the right to religion recognized by the Constitution. In a 1960 ruling, in Baba Khalil Ahmad v. State of Uttar Pradesh, the Supreme Court said that malicious intent of accused can be determined not just from the speech in question but also from external sources. In 1973, in Ramlal Puri v. State of Madhya Pradesh, the Supreme Court said the test to be applied is whether the speech in question offends the ordinary man of common sense and not the hypersensitive man oh there's a big difference this is so relevant to even today there are people who are just genuinely concerned about what people have to say and then there are hypersensitive people who get offended about everything aka karen's (laughs) however these determinations are made by the court and the distinction can often be vague and vary from one judge to another damn quite interesting What do you guys think about hate speech? What do you have to say about this entire episode that has happened with Nipur Sharma and uh, Naveen Jindal being uh, targeted for their remarks against the Prophet Muhammad? It's quite fascinating to see that, you know, at least I'm happy that, you know, the the ruling party, which is the Bharatiya Janata Party, took some action against them. Were they late? Maybe yes. After the protests by the Muslim countries... However, I feel like this entire TV debates, like TV debates in general have just gone to the shits, man. Like, the way they, the way they debate, it's so dumb. Like, I think any uh, sound-minded person who's listening to this would agree with me that TV debates are for people who just... Hypersensitive people who want to be triggered, who want content which makes them hate somebody else, who makes them... You know, a little triggered, man. And all of these debates are mostly biased towards one side. It's quite pathetic what's happening out in the world. So that's why I'm actually happy to be part of the Indian Express, which is, you know, at least somewhere in the center. And there is a lot of sense in what is being reported. Thank God we're not in the TV business. The TV news debates need to get there together. They need to get it together, dude. Moving on... I would like to bring my focus back to the job market. Uh, remember making a point earlier when we were talking about the government jobs in the simply put situation um, that, you know, we need to have young people going into different industries and not just focus on government jobs. The jobs push need to be made towards the private sector and there needs to be diversification when it comes to the job market. And also a quality increase is needed so that people are skilled. Kids need to be skilled at a younger age. People who are in their older ages need to be reskilled and brought to the level which are needed for them to be employable in this times. So what is needed is employment in manufacturing, especially for low and semi-skilled workers. As per this op-ed written in the Indian Express, employment in manufacturing is, you know, a lot of people like to think that, oh, and a developed economy will move towards services and manufacturing is not really needed. However, I personally feel, and I have noticed this after doing a lot of research about this, and also just a meditation, manufacturing is the core of everything. Like We need to make things so that there are things, so that companies make money, employers make money, and people who work there make money. It's super important. Super important, so that you know we are just able to focus on manufacturing, dude. Like um, the U.S. is suffering at this point because they're hyper dependent on China for all their manufacturing, and China is turning out to be not such a reliant partner when it comes to manufacturing. If China were to go to war with the U.S. tomorrow, and almost fifty percent of all the manufacturing that used to happen in U.S. is now happening in China, and China decides to stop exporting to the U.S., yes, it will cost China, but it will also cost the U.S. quite dearly. We need to build up when it comes to manufacturing and also there's a trade deficit at this point in india like we're not exporting as much as we need to uh, to match the imports and there's a lot of gold also being imported it's kind of weird man we'll cover this on some other point however that india has a jobs problem is beyond debate in a large measure measure it is worsened by the underlying structure of the indian economy The rapidly growing services sector tends not only to be less employment intensive, but it is also more geared towards absorbing the skilled sections of the labor force. And the gig economy, which does employ the unskilled, simply doesn't create enough jobs for the millions entering the labor force each year. The challenge has been and continues to be the inability to facilitate the creation of labor intensive manufacturing sector that is able to absorb low and semi-skilled sections of the labour force. With the next general election less than two years away, and given the unemployment and inflation are the two biggest economic issues today, the government appears to be now moving to tackle them with some urgency. On Tuesday... The centre announced plans to recruit 10 lakh people in ministries and departments over the next one and a half years. The recruitment drive will ostensibly be directed towards the youth. However, this ambitious drive could be circums- circumscribed by some fundamental constraints. The size of government for once. The, according to the report of the 7th Pay Commission, the total sanction strength of the central government fell from 41.76 lakhs in 1994 to 38.9 lakh in 2014. In 2021, the strength of the central government stood at 34.5 lakh as per the union budget. Moreover, between 2006 and 2014, the average recruitment in central government was a little over 1 lakh each year. Between 2017 and 2021, the Staff Selection Com- Commission and Union Public Service Commission recruited only 1.74 lakh and 24,836 candidates as per the report these numbers not only raise questions over the absorptive capacity of the state but also imply that uh, imply that government employment actually forms a small proportion of this the formal labor force and even smaller part of the total labor force further not only does this expansion in public sector jobs create a challenge to the promise and goal of minimum government Implicit in this move is also the acknowledgement that not enough jobs are being created by the private sector, which should be the principal driver of employment generation. With roughly 12 million individuals entering the working age population each year, around 6 million jobs need to be created each year, assuming a labor force participation rate of 0.5. But this is just to absorb the new entrants to the labor force, Employment opportunities for those wanting to shift out of agriculture also need to be factored in. This requires creating jobs at a scale which only the private sector can do efficiently. So, private sector, come on, what are you doing, man? Make some jobs. Come on, make jobs. <laughs> we need jobs, dude. We definitely need more jobs. We need people to be employed in things that they like doing. And uh, to any of my listener who doesn't have a job at this point, I'm just saying, dude, you're gonna be all right. Just kill yourself. Believe in yourself. Take a deep breath, and once you have a job, don't start living nine to five, five days a week sort of a life. Enjoy what you do, really enjoy what you do so that you do not feel like leaving. You know, that's super important. Like, you gotta love what you do, dude. If you don't love what you're doing, then you're gonna be stuck. You're not gonna be able to sustain it and uh, having passion for something that you like to do is also super important like you know people want to move away from agriculture to services sector it's quite understandable because they the income in agriculture is falling and you know there is rampant suicides that are happening that are being reported every day having said that if you can figure out a way if you like to do agriculture and you can figure out a way to be a successful farmer do that you know and if you're a farmer and you want to like you know work as a coder try and skill yourself i know it's easier said than done but learn the code you want to make an app try and do it just do it man i love making podcasts and i've been doing this in and out as much as i can but i'll be consistent from here on whoever's listening to this woo! moving on to some world news what's happening in ukraine This is a new story that I wasn't able to cover because I stopped doing these podcasts. I got the job right before uh, the world, uh, you know, went crazy with the war. Uh, But I'll be covering it from here on. And this is something I'm personally very interested in. Nobody saw this coming other than United States intelligence. I... I really remember, you know, reading so many news reports about people talk about United States giving press releases that Russia is going to invade Ukraine after the winter games get over in China. I remember watching some YouTube videos of some analysts from US who were trashing this intelligence saying that the United States intelligence is not giving any concrete, uh, you know, saboot basically for this, but they did. And uh, Ukraine has been uh, invaded by Russia. And um, recently, uh, Ukraine has ignored Russia's ultimatum to surrender, Donetsk, And uh, it continues to fight. Like, hats off to the spirit of the Ukrainians, even though they're being shelled left, right and center. And U- Russia, is, Russia is really strong, man, especially when it comes to the arsenal of weapons that they have. Ukraine doesn't really stand a chance when it comes to the eastern sector. However, uh, they're fighting on, especially with the help from the west. They're getting some weapons. Uh, God knows if it's going to be enough, though. Biden has granted Kiev another 1 billion aid in weapons, which is going to be you know, which is going to annoy Putin for sure. Ukraine ignored a Russian ultimatum to surrender the eastern city of Severodonetsk on Wednesday as the US announced more weapons for Kiev and urged its allies also not to, quote, lose steam in providing military support. Severodonetsk, Severodonetsk, now largely in ruins, has for weeks been the main focal point of the war. Russia told Ukrainian forces hold up in a chemical plant There to stop senseless resistance and lay down arms from Wednesday morning, pressing its advantage in the battle for control of eastern Ukraine. Ukraine says more than 500 civilians, including 40 children, remain alongside soldiers inside the Azot chemical factory, sheltering from weeks of almost constant Russian bombardment. The mayor of Severodonetsk, Oleksandr Stroyk, said Russian forces were trying to storm the city from different different several directions, but Ukrainians continued to defend it and were not totally cut off, even though all its river bridges had have been destroyed. Those inside Azot are surviving on water from wells and supplies of food brought in, the mayor said. US President Joe Biden later announced $1 billion worth of new weapons aid for Ukraine that sources familiar with the package said included anti-ship rocket systems, artillery rockets and rounds of howitzers. howitzers. Biden, who spoke with Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky by phone on Wednesday, also announced an additional $225 million in humanitarian aid to Ukraine. So this is what's up in Ukraine at this point. Russia is fighting for the eastern part of Ukraine and the West is trying to help Ukraine as much as they can when it comes to weapons. They're not getting directly involved in the war, but they are sending weapons and money. And I mean, God knows what's going to happen, dude. But we'll keep a check. And hopefully not many more civilians should die, you know, like kids and women and old people. I don't even know what's happening with them man. their mental health, physical health, their homes being destroyed by bombs and shelling. And this is 2022 and we're still living in a time of war. I hope better sense prevails and the insecurity of insecurities of large nations should be talked out. Just talk it out, man. Like, you know, these leaders when they even when they sit and talk, it's just like, have you seen that picture of the German chancellor and the France president sitting next to like sitting having a discussion with Putin on that long ass table? That table was three kilometers long. Like who talks like that? Nobody talks like that. You don't need you're not supposed to talk to People who are about to go to war like that. You know, you're supposed to sit next to them, smoke a cigar, and be like, hey man, we don't have to do this. We can figure out a way where you get what you want and nobody has to die because of bombs. But you know, obviously, I'm being a little bit of an optimist when I say this. Um, War is on at this point, guys. War is on. Moving on, the last story for the day. And I have to cover this because this is something quite personal to me. I remember using the internet for the first time. And Internet Explorer was the shit, dude. Internet Explorer was used by everyone. But now it's no more. It has retired. So long, Internet Explorer. Internet Explorer is finally headed out to pasture. As of Wednesday, Microsoft will no longer support the once dominant browser that legions of web servers love to hate and a few still claim to adore. The 27-year-old, that's my age, by the way, application now joins BlackBerry phones, dial-up modems, and palm pilots in the dustbin of tech history. It's so dynamic out there, man. Things which are relevant at this point, who knows, are not going to be relevant tomorrow. Like The apples of today are going to be outdated tomorrow, for sure. IE's, Internet uh, Indian de- oh, sorry, Internet Explorer's demise was not a surprise. A year ago, Microsoft said that it was putting an end to Internet Explorer on June 15, 2022, pushing, out, uh, pushing users to its Edge browser, which was la- launched in 2015. The company made clear then it was time to move on. Quote, not only is Microsoft Edge a faster, more secure, and more modern browsing experience than Internet Explorer, but it is also able to address a key concern, compatibility for older legacy websites and applications. Users marked Explorers passing on Twitter, with some referring it to as a, quote, bug-ridden, insecure POS or the top browser for installing other browsers. For others, it was a moment for 90s nostalgia and memes With while the Wall Street Journal quoted a 22-year-old who was sad to see IE go. Microsoft released the first version of Internet Explorer in 1995. The anti-Delovian era of web surfing dominated by the first widely popular browser Netscape Navigator. Users meanwhile complained that IE Internet Explorer was slow, prone to crashing and vulnerable to hacks. Internet Explorer's market share, which in the early 2000s was over 90%, began to fade. Today, the Chrome browser dominates with a roughly 65% share of the worldwide browser market followed by Apple's Safari. So long, Internet Explorer. It has been a long ride. 90% market share, down to nothing. Technology industry is super dynamic and a lot of nostalgia is um, soon, uh, obviously is going to be experienced. And with this, I would wrap up this episode of the Nankoverse. God damn man, it feels good to be back. Even though this is going to be a hard challenge now that I've finished recording, I know that you know balancing work with doing this podcast, everything. It's gonna be fun, guys. And you know, thank you for being part of my journey. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for liking my voice. And I'm trying to get better at reading. There are a lot of words that I, I'm not able to pronounce, I don't know what they mean, but that is the whole point of doing this podcast: is to get better alongside you guys, get to know more have people on the podcast i would want to do more interviews as well so if there's anybody that you'd like me to speak to please do leave uh your suggestions in the comments and uh really really want to give a lot of uh gratitude out into the world to my listeners to all of you who gave a damn who gave a damn who stuck by and i'll be doing this more often i can't wait to bring you guys more more conversations for a better tomorrow Signing out of the Nankoverse podcast. Thank you for listening. Have a great, great, great day, life, sex, drugs, anything. Just do it well, man. Live your life well. Signing out.